Thank you, Timothy. Oh, what a joy it has been to do Bible school this past week with some incredible uh, volunteers. And your kids and the kids in our community are just fabulous. So I don't know how many fist bumps and high fives we've given this past week, but it's been grand. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 will be there in just a moment. When I came as your interim pastor, I had this burden on my heart that I wanted to share, and I'm going to conclude it with you today. And that is the, this, this saying, it was not original to me, but I, I've been devoted to this, that a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great church. I've seen it happen uh, in, in my own ministry. I've seen it happen to churches all the way around me. As people will get involved, they'll get engaged, and they'll decide, we want to be that kind of church. We want to be those kind, that kind of people. But we ask, what does that look like? Do we look at another church? And we thought, well, why don't we look at the church in the Bible? Why don't we look in Acts chapter 2? And in the second chapter of Acts, what we found was here was a church that made a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission and grew into a mighty, mighty church. That great commandment, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second commandment is like to it, love your neighbor as yourself. And the Great Commission was to go out into all the world and tell them about Jesus, discipling them, baptizing them, helping them grow in the Lord. And out of these, the early church identified five things that they decided to do intentionally, purposefully. They would commit themselves to doing this in the promise that it would grow a great, great church. And indeed it did, and it always will. They devoted them things, themselves to evangelism, first of all. Evangelism is sharing the gospel, sharing their story with one another, that people would know how Jesus is transforming lives. And as they did that, more and more people came and believed. And so the second thing was discipleship, intentionally helping them to learn what the Bible says and how to put it into practice, how to apply that. And they were intentional, purposeful about that. Out of that led them to great times of worship. And intentionally in worship, they focused on the Lord God and how God was being magnified in their lives. And as that happened, that drew even more people. And then out of that grew a unique fellowship because out of that relationship that we had with God, we developed relationships with one another. And that fellowship helped to grow the church in its strength. This morning, I want to deal with the last of these, the fifth one, and that was intentional ministry. They were purposeful about ministry. They understood something. What they understood is that God had created us for the very purpose of engaging in our community, engaging with one another, to helping them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, to grow in their faith, to worship together in fellowship. This resulted in getting engaged with people's lives and in what they were doing. And that's God's purpose. So here in Ephesians chapter 2, I want us to read what was our key verse. And we've already had, we've sung it together. We've seen it on the overhead. But I want us to read it out of our Bibles. It's in Ephesians chapter 2 and find verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2 and find verse 10. And let's look what it says. It says, for we are his workmanship. Now, let me pause there for a moment. This, this word workmanship, I want to I speak it over you in the Greek language, but I want you to see, what does that sound like in English? Here's, here's the Greek word, poema. Poema. It sounds like our word poem 
And it is. That's where we get the, the, the source for our word poem. But for us, a poem is something that's written and it rhymes and has meter and verse. But poema means more than just something is writing. Poema means literally masterpiece. And it could be a statue, it could be music, or it could be something in written form. So here Paul is saying, we are God's poema. We are God's masterpiece. We, we are what God has creatively worked out, each and every one of us individually, and together we are God's workmanship. Look what it says, created in Christ Jesus, you and I were created, that workmanship happened as we came into Christ and Christ into us, created in Christ Jesus for good works. What's that mean? That's to serve. See that right there? That's to serve. That's to be in ministry. That's to be engaged in people's lives. God created us for this purpose. And look what it goes on to say, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He prepared beforehand. Before you were born, he knew how he was going to create you. He knew the spiritual gifts you were going to have, your natural abilities, the experiences you would go through. And out of all of these things stirred together, you would be uniquely who you are to be engaged in ministry, to be engaged in service, to be engaged with him in the family business. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, as we come before you today, we just want to worship you and honor you. And we just ask you, Lord, to move into our hearts in such a way that we will sense that we are uniquely created by you for a purpose. You have a family business, Lord, and you call us to be a part of it. Show us how to make that happen. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. In a nutshell, this is it. God wants you involved, me involved, in the family business. And the family business is being his people in this community. This is key. This is critical. Listen, you were placed here to contribute not to consume. Let me say that again, because we live in a very much consumer mindset. You weren't placed here to consume. You were placed here to contribute. This is a key. God calls us to contribute, not necessarily just to consume. Now, we all, as, as I'm being cre- uh, uh, contributing, then you can consume. As you're contributing, I can consume. We self-support one another in this process, and we do in this community. But you were not put here just to take up space, to breathe air, and to get holy. Sorry, that's not why God put you here. Now, I believe in personal holiness, and I believe that's a calling God puts on our lives. I don't want to diminish that for a moment. But holiness is not what God put you here for. He left you here on planet Earth to be engaged in ministry to be engaged in service, things that he had prepared ahead of time that you and I can walk in them if we're prepared to walk into what he has prepared for us. This is key. God puts you here to make a difference. And as long as you live, it doesn't matter how long you're here, life is not so much about the duration as it is the donation. 
It's not about how long you endure and how long you live. You know, I, I, w- w- there, are, there are many people that are being just as productive in their 60s, 70s, and 80s as they ever were in their lives. It's not about the duration, it's about your donation. What is it you're putting into this church and this community for the cause of Jesus Christ? Way back in the book of Job, which is the oldest written piece of literature that we have in our Bible, Job chapter 10, verse 8 says, Your hands made me and shaped me. Your hands made me and shaped me. I want you to understand that about yourself. Now look at the person around you and say, God made that. No, never, no, don't do that. Uh, God made you and created you uniquely to be the person you are. Uh, there's a course I lead, love to teach. I've taught it many times in, in, in my former church. Maybe I'll get around to teaching it here. And it's called Discovering Your Shape for Ministry. Discovering Your Shape for Ministry. And shape is an acronym. It's not original to me. But it's a spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. God takes these five things and he mixes them all together to create you as the unique individual you are. And out of that, he has a unique calling in your life that only you can fulfill. I cannot fulfill your role and you cannot fulfill mine. It's a unique, made just for you creation. That's who you are. That's how God shaped you. But he shaped you that way for ministry. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. While you're turning there, let me share with you, when God was shaping you with those spiritual gifts, that heart He gave you, those abilities, that personality, and those experiences, He did not pour all that into you for your own benefit. He didn't pour all that into you for you to go out and make a million bucks. He didn't pour all of that into you for you. If you've been paying attention at all the last several months, you're waking up to the fact that the Christian life is not about me. The Christian life is about him and me serving him. That's what this is all about. And we were created for that unique purpose. And it has to do with service. Now listen, 1 Peter, 1 Peter, I want to read a verse over you. 1 Peter chapter... uh, First chapter 4, verse 10. Listen to this. Each one of you should use whatever gifts you have received in service to others. Not for us. So that ability you have to work with numbers, that ability you have to be creative and artistic, that ability you have to interrelate and to encourage somebody, that ability that you have was not given for you to be magnanimous, <laughs> For you to make a ton of money, that that ability was given to you so that you could invest it in the name of Jesus Christ for people to grow to love the Lord. That's why he created you that way. That's why he made you that way. And I want you to see something in the Gospel of John chapter 13. Have you turned there? John chapter 13. I want you to isolate for just a moment on verse 17. And everything else I'm going to say is just going to come off of this. John chapter 13, verse 17, Jesus is speaking, and he says this. If you know these things, point to your head. If you know these things, get your finger, come on, come on, come on. If you know these things, 
Happy are you, blessed are you if you do them. Point to your heart. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do these things. Listen, he's saying the blessing is in the doing. Listen very carefully. The blessing is in the doing. Now say that with me. The blessing is in the doing. One more time. The blessing is in the doing. Why did he say that? Well, the reason is you and I, we're typical human beings. We're typical human beings. And we would rather buy a counterfeit than the real. And here's the counterfeit. Many of us have substituted knowing for doing. We've substituted knowing for doing. We've substituted knowing what is right for doing what is right. We've substituted knowing about prayer instead of praying. We've substituted knowing about sharing the gospel for actually sharing the gospel. There is so much that we already know. There is very little that I can teach you, that you, many of you, that you don't already know. The problem is not that we don't know. The problem is that we don't do what we know. And so Jesus says, the blessing is not in the knowing. The blessing is in the doing of what you know. Now, this isn't new to just our generation and here in America. This was going on in Bible times as well. And Paul addressed it. He first addressed it to Timothy. And he said, Timothy, there are some folks who are always learning, but never able to come to a real knowledge of the truth. And he was talking about the church there in, in I mean, the, the people there in Athens. And he said this, for all of the Athenians and the foreigners who are there, spend all their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear some new thing. They wanted to hear something new. They wanted to, to, to learn something new. Listen, education is phenomenal. But if you have a PhD and all you're doing is flipping burgers, you're not doing what God's purposed you to do. Because the blessing is not in the knowing, the blessing is in the doing. What God has for you, the joy and the wonder and the thrill of what God has for you in the Christian life is not just in learning some more stuff. He didn't leave you here. Have you ever wondered why God didn't take you home when he saved you? I mean, you know, why make me live around in all of this and be tempted in all these other ways? Why don't you just take me home when you save me and be done with it? Go ahead and take me to heaven. Why do you think he left you around here? Is it to take up space in church? And get counted as someone who showed up? Is it to sit here and practice my holiness? God, aren't you proud of me? Why didn't God just take you home when he saved you? Because he has a purpose to leave you here. And the purpose that we're here is wrapped up in the word ministry. Service. You were created in Christ Jesus. To be engaged in good works, to be engaged in ministry. And this is something he prepared from before time began. This is his plan. So don't make learning an end in itself. 
The blessing is in the doing. Remember, these learners, these disciples, they, they were apprentices. And they would attach themselves to a master, to a master plumber or a master electrician or, or a master philosopher, whatever. But they would attach themselves to a master, and they would do life with that person. And they would watch how they did things. And then they would practice doing it themselves. And then they would go and they would repeat that very process, doing it themselves the way they taught at the, were taught by the master. I, I had the joy of being taught an awful lot about carpentry and woodworking right here while I was your pastor. And, and I learned so much. I love that. And still today, I love to build. You know, I, I think the, the, if there was a scent that they named after Fred Lodge, it would be sawdust, okay? That's just, that, that should be, I love to work with wood. I love, I love to do that. And I learned a lot of that here, how, how to do that. But learning how to operate those power tools, I learned from some of the masters right here. And you know what? I taught my boys how to use them the same way I was taught to use them. Uh, I remember I was, I was uh, using a, a particular kind of saw over with Papa Frank Boyles, and I was cross-cutting a radial arm saw. And I was coming across, cutting about four boards at a time, coming across, and it would bog it down. And he said, you're not listening to your machine. The machine will tell you how fast to pull it, how hard to pull it. Listen to it, and just slowly pull it, and as you're listening to the machine, it won't bog down. You, you, you'll find the rate that you can pull it across and cut all four of those boards at the same time. And he was right. And so I taught my boys how to do that. And I've taught my grandkids how to do that. Because, you see, you learn not just to know it in your noggin. You learn to do it and to pass it on. If the last, uh, uh, master electrician shows you, here's how you twist two wires together to where uh, they meet code. And you say, okay, now I know how to do it right. But you know what, I twisted wires, you know, let me just, you know, put a Band-Aid over it or something. Well, you know why that's not going to cause a fire? Because the inspector's going to come and see your work and say, no, you didn't do it right. You didn't do it up to code. You didn't do it the way you were taught. Go back and do it right. And listen, you want them to do it right. (laughs) And you want to do it right. To where you won't burn your house down or somebody else's. You see, the blessing is not in the knowing. The blessing is in the doing. Doing what you know. That's God's plan for us. And that's, that's the dividing line. Listen to me. That's the dividing line between observers and participants between Christ followers and those people who just want to treat this as a spectator event. Christ followers learn and do. They learn and do. They're engaged. That's a distinguishing mark of the believer. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 24. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The truly wise person is the person who, yes, they want to learn. Feed me. I want to know. But I want to know not as an end in itself, 
but to where I can know how to do. And that's how the church grew. The church grew not by having hundreds of spectators, but hundreds of people who were engaged in doing what the Lord was teaching them. You know, we've, we've fallen into that trick and bought the counterfeit, bought the plastic concept of Christianity that is just sitting and watching and just learning. And we wonder why we're not satisfied with that. We wonder why we get bored with church. Because it was never designed to be something that just appealed to your brain. It was something that engaged in your lifestyle and how you do family and how you are at work and how you do finances, how you do politics, all of this. It was lifestyle, not brainwaves. Don't buy a cheap plastic substitute. God doesn't want you just to know how. He wants you to do it. And that's where the blessing is. The blessing is in the doing. Will you say that with me again? The blessing is in the doing. One more time. The blessing is in the doing. So Jesus says, don't be satisfied with anything less than having something that you can put your hands on, that you can be engaged in, and you can be a part of. And if you found yourself just being a spectator, okay, I'm not mad at you. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to to put a guilt trip on you. I want you to know there's so much more. There's so much more. Don't be satisfied with a substitute for the real thing. Some of us need to get in the game. Up in the mountains, I mean further up in the mountains, we're in the very toehills of the mountains here in Stevens County, but further up in the mountains we do some kind of strange things, crazy things. I'm not talking about handling snakes. I haven't gone there with you yet, okay? But we, we do some different things up there. and They have revivals and they have sangins, not singings, but sangins, things like that. But one of the things they'll do from time to time in some of the small rural mountain churches, they'll have what they call a, a quitting meeting. A quitting meeting, Q-U-I-T-T-I-N, quitting. A quitting meeting. And this is what's kind of like a revival, but they'll be preaching on various topics. And during the invitation, come, people will come forward to quit. They say, I've been, I've been gossiping, and I want you to know I'm quitting. Well, I've been, I've been getting drunk, and I know that's wrong for me to do. I want you to know I'm quitting. Well, in one of those meetings, the pastor saw one of their senior adult ladies get up. She was on a cane, and she came walking to the front. They thought, my goodness. I mean, this is one of, the best, one of the most wonderful saints we have in our church. And she come down, and she whispered into the pastor's ear. And the pastor said, okay, and gave her the microphone. That's a scary thing to do, all right? <laughs> she said, pastor, church, I want you to know for too many years here, I've just been sitting and doing nothing. But I want you to know, today I'm quitting. Today I'm quitting. It's time for a quitting meeting, folks. Some of you here today have been doing nothing. And it's time to quit. It's time to get engaged. This is not about coming and saying, here, feed me, inspire me, come on. No. 
Let us teach you so you can go and do. That facilitates the gospel flowing throughout your family, throughout your work, and throughout this community. This is who we are and what we're doing. And this is where ministry comes into the picture. It's you do something, and it's significant. You see, we don't work in order to be saved, but because we're saved, we work. That's, that's how it happens. This is the difference between attenders and Christ followers. Attenders sit on their hiney, press their pants, and watch others follow Christ. Guess which one gets the blessing? Guess which one gets bored and goes home? It's as simple as that. That's the reality. That's what God wants to do. And let me tell you this, and with this I'm going to start closing out. If you've bought the substitute, if you've bought the plastic concept of faith to where you just come and learn and just get holy and you're not engaged, you are stunted in your spiritual growth and you're living in willful disobedience to God. I don't know any simpler way to put it. Your spiritual growth is stunted. You're, you're, you're a midget. When God called you to be a giant, your spiritual growth is stunted because you're living in absolute willful disobedience to the clear Word of God in your life. This is, this is what the Scripture is making abundantly clear because the blessing is in the doing. And there are no excuses. None of you are too old. None of you are too old to be engaged in ministry. None of you are, are, are too young to be engaged in ministry. I mean, as a matter of fact, bring the kids. <laughs> Let them be engaged with you in ministry. They fall in love with Jesus and fall in love with ministry in doing that. You can't be too old. You can't be too young. You, 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 can't, be, you can't be too new a Christian. It, no, you can't be too new a Christian. A brand new believer in Christ can be engaged in ministry. You know what? We use ministries especially ministry events like VBS and, and Journey to the Cross, we, we use this strategically not only to reach our community, but to reach our church. Did you know that? To reach our church. To give you the opportunity in a pretty safe environment to where you can be engaged in hands-on ministry and get the blessing and when you get that blessing, then it's easier for you to do that maybe just in your home or where you work or do that, you know, in your community because you've learned how to do it here. We had Journey to the Cross uh, several months back. I was talking to a group of five people, and they said, we have never shared the gospel with anybody until we did this. And so we came and you taught us how to do that, how to share the gospel and, and now we know how to do that, and we've done it. We practiced it here in, in our church. And since then, all five of them have had opportunity to do that 
outside these walls. Why? They, they came in a fairly safe place, and we'll give you those opportunities. We have our big events like this. You can come and be engaged in this, and we'll help train you how to do this, how to love on kids or how to love on senior adults or whatever we're going to be doing at that time. But you know, church can't always be about events. We can't always have big hooflas like this. And we're not designed to. Because it's designed to train you and me to go outside the doors and do this on our own. Where we live, where we work, where we go to school, where we shop, where we bank, where we buy gas. That's where our ministry field grows. This is what God wants us to be about. Because the blessing is in the doing. Now let me give you some takeaways Some takeaways, some how-tos, okay? Some takeaways to go with this. It's in your notes, but we'll go ahead and go over them for a moment. First of all, make sure your doing flows out of your being. Make sure your doing flows out of your being, okay? It's really hard to share Christ with somebody if you yourself don't know Christ. There was a lady that uh, wanted to bring her two children. One of them was nine and the other one was uh, seven uh, to Bible school. And uh, she said, I'd like, to, I'd like to help. Can I do something? Well, she wasn't a member of our church, and only members of our church can actually teach uh, and such because we take very seriously, you know, molding young minds about the gospel. But we always need helpers. We need people that lead kids from here to there and that hand out cookies and all the rest of this stuff. So, yeah, you come on. So you can be a helper. So on Thursday, when we got to share the gospel with the, with the age groups that's appropriate for them to start making decisions... Uh, her, her daughter was sitting right in front of me as I was sharing the gospel, and we were using a little game board. We moved the pieces around and such as that. And so she came to me later. The child came to me later and said, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. And I said, well, there's your mommy right over there. Go, 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 go talk to your mommy. And so she went over and got her mommy, and her, and, and her mommy come up, and I said, she, you know, your daughter wants to ask Jesus to come to your heart. Is that okay? And she said, well, and I said, well, no rush. No, you might want to talk to your husband or whatever. She said, no, it's not that. She said, I've never asked Jesus in my heart. Can I do it too? I said, oh, come on, hon. <laughs> and right there in front of our game board, <laughs> we knelt down and mother and daughter gave their heart to Jesus. And then I baptized Mama. And I said, you stay right where you are. You're going to help me baptize your daughter. And together, we baptized the daughter. You, you You can't be too young in your faith to be engaged in doing ministry. You may not be the lead one who can go out and, you know, organize all of this. But come and start as a helper. Come and do something. But it's got to flow out of your being to become a part of your doing. First, you need to have Christ in your heart. And then you can be engaged in the family business. The second thing I want you to see is this. Small is often bigger than big. These big events are wonderful. And these 15 young lives that have asked Christ to really dominate their lives now, oh, that's that's tremendous. Hallelujah. I love that. But listen, not all ministry is big. Not every time you share the gospel with somebody except. Not every time that you minister with somebody, you know, just, just get this tremendous blessing. But listen. Here's what Jesus said. Isn't it good to go back to what Jesus said? Here's what Jesus said. Anyone who gives a cup of cool water 
in my name will receive a blessing. Give a cup of cool water. Can you handle that? I mean, you know, is that too spiritually demanding? (laughs) Does that require a THD or anything? Can you give a cup of cool water to somebody who's thirsty? Can you handle that? Jesus said, just just be a refreshing to somebody. Be an encourager to somebody. Be that cool refreshment that soothes their parched throat of hurting in this land we live in. It's not necessarily all in the big things, folks. Just give a cup of cool water. Be that word of encouragement. Listen, there's some people right in this room today who desperately need somebody to speak a word of encouragement into their lives. How do I know that? I know it because of statistics. But also getting to know some of you individually. There are people here today that need someone just to step up and speak a word of encouragement into their lives. And you can be that person. That's not beyond you. That's not too hard for you. You you don't have to be, you know, a preacher to do that. As a matter of fact, you do it better than the preacher. Number three, pray to know what God has prepared for you. Ephesians uh, 3.10 tells us that these good works God has prepared for us. What does that mean? When you leave here today, God has prepared something for you to be engaged in some form of ministry. God's prepared for you to be somehow engaged in loving on people and and sharing with them and meeting needs in their lives. He's prepared it. But you got to pray to prepare yourself to where you be prepared to receive what he's got prepared for you. So pray to prepare. Fourth, do a good work and serve those around you. Let let, Let your job be a mission field. One of you telling me recently, boy, my job's a mission field. There's not a, not a single Christian out there. Well, you know what I call that? A target-rich environment. <laughs> That's a target-rich environment. Um, they need somebody to give a cup of cool water. And it don't have to be a blazing evangelist. Just start ministering to people who are there. And see them as God sees them. And see it as an opportunity. I read about a fellow that took his little daughter to, uh, to work with him. You know, that was allowed. That was something, that company, they allowed you to encourage you to bring your children from time to time. So she brought, he brought his, his daughter around. She was so excited on the way in there to be with her daddy at work. And he took her around and introduced her to various ones and showed her how stuff worked. And throughout the day, she was getting more and more solemn. And on the way home, she said, baby, didn't you have a good time? And she said, well, daddy, it wasn't what I was expecting. He said, well, what were you expecting? He said, well, I expected it to be happier, maybe more like a, a circus. He said, why would you think that? He said, well, you tell us you work with a bunch of clowns. I figured that it would be like a circus. Those clowns need somebody to love them in Jesus' name. And that person is you, because God has uniquely put you there and shaped you to be the one that can be right there and can speak into their lives. Next thing, walk across the room. Just, just, just walk across the room. You know, folks, that's not that hard. Okay? You do it like this. It's left, right, 
left, right, repeat, okay? Suck it up, get the courage, and walk across the room. Go over there and talk to that person. Go over there and encourage that person. Go over there and let them know that somebody cares whether they live or die. Because you're surrounded with people. I know school's out right now, but kids, you're surrounded with people every day that are asking, is this all there is? Do I really want to live through another day of this? And you get to be the person who speaks into that life. Next thing, just do, do the next thing. Do the next thing. You know, have a plan. I'm a planner. Ha- have a plan. And, and, and you're, you're initially your plan is just establishing relationships, and then you do things in ministry that earns the right to share more, and then you go to the next. You know, just do whatever's next. Take the next step. Take the next step. And, and finally, finally this. Be the one who stops and serves. Be the one who stops and serves. Remember the Good Samaritan we looked at several weeks ago? Be the one who stops and serves. That's who we are. That's what it's all been about this week. Learning that we're uniquely created by none other than God himself. Shaped to be engaged in ministry that he's already prepared before us. This is going to be fun. Because the blessing is in the doing. Will you say that with me again? The blessing is in the doing. One last time. The blessing is in the doing. So let's get busy. Father God, thank you for your sweet and precious word today. That you have called us to not be satisfied with the cheap substitute of just watching others. But you've called us to be engaged. You've called us to be a part of the family business of loving people in the name of Jesus. Of sharing with them how important you are in our lives and how much we love you. Then telling them how they can receive you and helping them grow. Loving them through the tough times of life. Lord, here we are. We want to be your servant. In Christ's name, amen.